Mike from MetMalive.com, uh, joined as always by the uh, the estimable Justin Rogers. Eskimo? Uh, estimable. Estim- estimable. You can't even say it, so I don't <laughs> know why you're trying to sound fancy. I can write it, I promise. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a good thing. Um, we're back with, uh, our, I believe, the ninth episode of the Lions podcast here at MLive. Um, yeah, just uh, still trying to figure this format out a little bit, but we're having some fun with it. A little light, I will, I'll you know, freely admit we're a little light on content this week, You know, two weeks now removed from the... From the draft, Lions not making a lot of news in recent weeks. And I mean, really, that's a good thing. Some people complain, you know, about the types of stories that are written this time of year. And it's like, well, if you're writing interesting or uh, relevant stories or not, it's probably because your team is or your players are making news for, for the wrong reasons. And the Lions have been pretty quiet on that front. Yeah, we probably have more to talk about if they let us watch rookie minicamp. But <laughs> then again, we're complaining about our problems, not your problems. Right. So, uh, yeah, it was 10 minutes of, uh, 10 minutes of, uh, uh, Nothing. individual drills and a little bit of special teams it was not relevant but um but we do have some things to talk about and obviously the draft occurred justin and and, and you and i uh we were not sold on what the lions did in free agency i think we we're both kind of uh of, of um you know down on, on what they had done there and they kept saying you know we, there are other ways to get better wait until the draft and of course the lions had those 10 picks so they acquired quite a few guys and now let's i think it's a good time to, to, to reset uh this roster has what the lines done in the draft and, and to this point in free agency, has, has this changed your outlook on the team at all? Yeah, I, I think you know when the schedule came out, I politely declined to make any predictions. I thought it was dumb. I don't know if it's a lot, uh, it's any less dumb now, but at least we have at least a grasp of what the roster is going to sure, look like. Sure. And, uh, you know, the Lions plugged several holes in this draft, um, namely their biggest. In, in bringing in Taylor Decker. We don't know if he's going to play left or right tackle. That'll that'll be decided down the road. But offensive tackle was my biggest concern. I, I like the fact that they brought in Glasgow to, to push Swanson. That was another uh, weakness, I thought. And uh, so I, I can say I definitely feel better about the offense. You know, even without Calvin Johnson, I think this, this offense can be a pretty talented group. Uh, I, th- I think we saw what Jim Bob Cooter can do, and I think they brought in more weapons that utilize – what he likes to do in his offense, and I think mm-hmm. I've made this comparison before, but it, it reminds me in a lot of ways of the Patriots, what they do. A lot of short passes, catch-and-run guys. They added Curley to that mix. They added Marvin Jones to that mix. They got and some guy named Theo Riddick. I've, I've heard of him. <laughs> Golden Tape, you know, obviously that's that's a calling card for him as well. So I think the offense can be really excited and exciting. Um, you know, it's just going to be a matter of whether Decker and uh, the Glasgow-Swanson combo can, can help Stafford upright long enough. I feel better about the long-term viability of, of the roster, I guess the offense in particular, since that's the way you were going. Uh, with, you know, with, I mean, with the biggest efficiency, obviously, was on the offensive line. You had to get better there, and I think in the long term you did by drafting a guy like Taylor Decker, who's just a road grader uh, in the run game. Um, you know, he's knocked a little bit by some folks, particularly PFF. Uh, for his work there in the past game, but obviously the Lions believe that's something they can they can they can fix with you know better um, you know NFL coaching and, and more time with the guy and so forth. Um, and then of course, of course they got Glasgow as you mentioned, Justin, and then Joe Dow. Um, but I think it's important to remember that you know it, 
it, the NFL is a difficult game, and it takes guys time sometimes to get to, to get better. And I think of a guy like Lakin Tomlinson, obviously highly skilled, but last year was it was a learning experience for him. He wasn't great out of the gate, and it took him a while, I think, to get to get on solid footing because, I mean, there's the physique. You know, you're playing against grown men. You're playing against 28, 29-year-old men who have been in an NFL weight program for five, six, seven years and had had that extra chance to build up their strength. And, I mean, obviously this is a physical game. You have to be strong anywhere to play uh, to, to play it. But it's particularly so in the trenches. And so sometimes, you know, you do, you do see rookie offensive linemen come in and contribute and play well from day one. But for many guys, there's a learning curve. And so... Yes, I feel better. I think the Lions did great things for the roster in the long term. But that's what this draft told me more than anything, maybe, was that Bob Quinn, he was not under some kind of um, order to, 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 to win now at all costs or whatever. They weren't making any crazy, crazy trades up for, you know, first splash guys or whatever. They made uh, lots of long-term investments in, in linemen and hit trouble spots on the roster. I feel better in two and three and four years, but I'm, I'm not sure how much help they really got for, for year one, per se. Yeah, and, and we talked about it with, with Tomlinson, you know, there there is an adjustment for rookies. I, I think it's more um, pronounced for offensive linemen, maybe right. Right. more than any other spot. Cornerback, quarterback, I think also fall both, both in that classification. But uh, you see inconsistency and struggles with rookie linemen so often. So, yeah, if it's it, Decker's definitely playing, and if it's Glasgow in there, you know, there's there's going to be moments of frustration and inconsistency for fans, but that's just the reality of, sure. of the position. I. I am curious with both those guys being who they are and what their skill set is. Um, and I don't know why I'm presuming that Glasgow is going to be the starter. That's, I think, still a complete toss-up at this point. But uh, if, if that is your starting lineup, I'm really curious to see how it bolsters the run game because that's that's mm-hmm. a calling card for both those guys. Uh, Lions didn't do a lot to address it otherwise. Uh, Steven Ridley wasn't um, a big, you know, sexy name ad. Uh, so it's, it's really. I'm telling, I'm telling Dwayne Washington you said that. Yeah, I mean, come <laughs> on, seventh rounder who fumbles every twelve times he touches the ball. Uh, but I, I want to see how much more they're going to be willing to use Abdullah this year. He he did clean up his fumble issues in the second half of the season, and yeah, it's a sample size. It's the first half of the season, the sample size. The second half is a sample size, but one fumble in the final eight games, as opposed to four mm-hmm. or five in the first eight. Uh, he, he ran, he had more explosive runs down the stretch. He's clearly got good vision, but he doesn't have the frame to, to take, you know, I think 20, 25 carries a game every week. So I want to see how that run game was done. Cause that's, that's what's going to make the offense go. You know, we, we know what Stafford is. We know he can, he can operate with this, these types of receivers. And, uh, I think we saw the way he closed out last season, but, uh, when, when you get down to, especially contested games, close contested games, trying to protect the lead or you get down to play a football, you got to be able to run the ball and lines still are, have been a under four yard per carry team for seems like forever. Yeah. I mean, just to go back to the, the, the question that started the, the, um, this point, you know, have, have your expectations changed since the draft? And I guess my expectations for this year haven't, I guess they haven't. I, I think I had them at seven and nine because I did the obligatory game by game predictions that always come out. After um, you know, after the schedule You're comes a bad out, person. I know I'm terrible. You have to tell me that. Um, but I, I mean, I, I mean, I just don't see it changing that much because the again and again, this is coming from a guy. I, I like what the Lions did in this draft. I like what Bob Quinn did. I see a blueprint. I see you know where he's going and, and why he took some of the guys that he did. I mean, four linemen in the first five picks. That's a high since like '78. Like this is an uncommon draft that the Lions had here. He saw. 
I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I just I just picture Bob Quinn walking into his office, first day on the job, popping in some lines film, lines film, and thinking, "What the hell? Like that we can't <laughs> vomiting we can't, in his trash can, right? Like we can't win with this offensive line. Uh, obviously, there was deficiencies on the defensive line as well, in part because of the the injury to Tanato that, that limited him early, and obviously Tyron Walker only playing a couple of games, but you know, there. I mean, the, the offensive line was just a wreck, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I like what they did to address that. It's just, to me, it's very rare. Offensive line of anywhere is very rarely a quick fix. And I, I think they did, they did, they did, they did well in this draft to give themselves options going forward. And I think eventually you're going to see a much more competent offensive line. I'm just not sure how much more, how much better it'll be this year, particularly if you are starting Taylor Decker, as I assume you will be, and Graham Glasgow. Yeah, we even get to the defense, and I don't know if we need to. It, it's it's a lot of the same in a lot of ways. And then well, you're injecting DeAndre Levy. It's true. Levy and Tyron Walker. So, yeah. I, I mean, you do have those two additions. But uh, there's hot takes, and there's lukewarm takes, and then there's this. I just believe 80% of the NFL is 500 teams. They're just 500 teams, and it's plus or minus two, depending on your breaks. And I think that's why you just see... Um, it's parody. I mean, that's what the league wants. It's the way it's set up, and it's been very successful outside of a few random clubs like the Patriots who managed to, to stay on top by uh, whatever means necessary. Let's just go with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Lions are, are in that mix. They're an 8-8 eight and eight club that could finish 6-10 and 10 if the breaks don't go their way, and they could finish 10-6 and, and, and be a playoff team. The schedule itself is is favorable. I've said this from the start. I feel like it's set up and conducive to success. Absolutely. And I I also continue to maintain that they need to win 10 games for Jim Caldwell to keep his job. And I think this is a trial and error year for Caldwell. I, I don't... Quinn didn't take any risk there, but I also thought it was the wise decision to bring Caldwell back and maintain some continuity where you were yeah. taking the axe to so many places in that organization that uh, you know, you run with the test year, and um, you know, I think Caldwell's expectations have to be playoffs or bust. Yeah, absolutely. After what happened last year, um, I just don't see it happening. I, I think I, I just I, I have them at seven and nine again, which is obviously better. It's uh, better than what they did last year, or whatever. But I think they'll be more competitive than they were last year. But this, but the the a lot of that has to do with the schedule and the schedule easing up. I just don't see the the roster being necessarily better. Um, it's particularly when you, we haven't even mentioned Kelvin Johnson. I know the Lions did well to replace him as well as they could have, I should say. But you, I mean, you don't, you don't you don't just replace a guy that's such a not just a great player, but a fixture of your offense. You're really going to be revamping a lot. And I like Jim Bob Cooter. I think they're going to do some good things. I just don't think this is a team that you're going to see pop off, you know, twelve wins or something. Um, which kind of segues into uh, you know something else. I wanted to bring up Justin, and um, I assume you saw the tweet as well, but it's a tweet heard around uh, the Lions blogosphere from uh, yeah. our, our, our guy, uh, Greg Rosenthal, who tweeted, uh, the Lions roster looks worse the more you look at it. And that tweet gained a lot of traction. And I'm His follow-up follow was, Lions have shaky starters at defensive end, linebacker, safety, cornerback, not much depth everywhere, and what position groups are above average? So I'm assuming you saw the tweets. I did. <laughs> I, I retweeted them, and uh, yeah, yeah. it was not... Uh, so what's, what, what's your first blush with, uh, with with what he put out there? I don't know if the roster's worse the more I look at it, maybe because we look at it more than a national guy. This is, this is we, We're so used to it at this point, and I guess sometimes you get lost and you can't see the trees in the forest, right? Sure. But... Uh, He's not wrong about the the shaky starters at you know defensive end linebacker safety cornerback you know we we've talked about this Devin Taylor had nice production in in uh, 
part-time role last year and he's earned the right for a bigger role, but is he ready to be a full-time starter? And then who, who's behind him? You know, Wallace Skillberry, is that your, right. are you excited about that? We don't even know who the fourth guy is. I mean, it's Anthony Zettel on paper, linebacker, you know, we don't know who the strong side guy is. Um, you know, we probably have a little bit more faith in Tahir Whitehead than any national reporter would. And, um, I, they're completely fair to be skeptical there. Yeah, so. well, hey, they gave me eight million though, so I I, I feel like I thought he Quinn played is, well. You know, yeah. I, feel, I feel like Quinn likes what he sees. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the secondary, I mean, Nevin Lawson, Raphael Bush. I mean, those names don't inspire right. excitement or confidence. Right, and that and that's and that's where I think he he truly has a point. Is is I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with safety. You know, I mean, maybe it's Miles Killebrew, a, a fourth round rookie. I mean, I, I I'm not penciling him in per se, but I'm also not. Sold on Tavon Wilson, a guy who hasn't started a game since he was a rookie, and I'm not sold on um, Raphael Bush, who, I mean, I've talked to some people who, who cover the Saints down there in New Orleans, and, and they like the player when he's on the field, but the problem is he's, he's hardly ever on the field. I mean, he played one game last year. He missed, I believe, five games the year before that with various injuries. I'm not, I don't think he's ever played a 16-game season. If he has, it would way early in his career. So, like, even if he wins the job day one, uh, I mean, his history would suggest you still need a guy that's going to come in and play for him when he does get hurt. And who's that guy going to be? And so, I mean, I just thought Issa Abdul-Kadus was so good in that role last year. That's a, a step back, I think, in terms of um, what he was able to give and, and what the Lions have going there right now. And there's, just to speak more broadly about uh, Rosenthal's tweet, I – I mean, I, we look at it every day, so I'm not sure if it can look worse the more I look at it. But the way I look at it is it's, it's not a very good roster. It's not upgraded over last year. What position group is better right now than it was last year? I think the long, again, going back to what I said before, I think the long-term offensive line group has more talent than it did before. But I'm not sure if that group is going to play better necessarily from week one of this year, given all the moving, moving pieces. Uh, you could have Reef eventually move into the right tackle spot. You, you just, there's so many, question marks up there and you can have so many young guys again um i i just yeah i i'm not a huge fan of the roster i'm a fan of bob quinn and his move so far i absolutely am i think this this franchise is in, is in good hands but uh yeah i mean i just to, to expect anything more than seven to nine i think would be foolish at this point man yeah i, I wanted to go Hot back take. to the the yeah bur- bury him in uh what, what day what month is this may it's may. bury him in may fun, fun fact everyone it's uh justin and i actually share a birthday may yeah. 15th Happy birthday, Justin. Same same mom, too. <laughs> it's also not true. Uh, I did want to go back to the safety thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying at this point, I, I feel Raphael Bush is going to be your starter. And in a lot of ways, he kind of has a similar skill set to, to Issa. You know, instead of being the big hitter, though, uh, he's he's a very sound fundamental tackler. Look at, look at the numbers. Um, missed tackles with Bush. I mean, he covers a lot of ground, covers range, and tackles really well. So you're almost going to be playing like two free safeties in this offense as opposed to, you know, the the classic strong and, and free. And, and listen, they're, they're still going to play those roles in, in some part. But uh, it, it seems to me or it strikes me that the emphasis is on coverage. And listen, in the NFL these days, that, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're uh, teams are throwing 65% of the time. So, of course, you want guys with range and guys that can tackle and, and not make mistakes. So, uh, Killebrew's going to be the long-term solution there, and I, I'm convinced he's going to be the fan favorite in training camp. I mean, he's just going to be the guy. I mean, you guys got hooked on Jerome uh, Kuplin. Um, before that, oh, I forget his name now. He intercepted Tom Brady and the uh, Ricardo Silva. Mm. You know, those, those lengthy... Uh, big safeties with with range fans love them because they 
they possess so much intangibles, but and Killebrew muscle happener, you know, I mean, it's people are just so excited for the yeah. nickname. He's going to deliver these crazy hits, and we're going to write about them because they're going to be crazy. We want to share them with you, but he's a guy that I think people are going to get overhyped with his rookie season. He's not going to contribute a whole lot as a rookie outside of maybe special teams, but a long-term solution to that strong safety spot, I think, certainly. Just there's some room to grow there, and people need to maybe temper their expectations. Got to remember, fourth round pick. Yep, ditto, ditto. Um, Lions did make a, a small adjustment to the roster uh, this week in trading for uh, John Bostic, a linebacker from uh, Drumroll, please the the, the Patriots. <laughs> Very interesting place to go for your your, your uh, uh, first trade as GM yeah, with Bob Quinn. But um, you think he just got like Bill Belichick's number on speed dial or what? <laughs> I would imagine. I I mean, uh, yeah. But uh, they they dialed up that trade conditional. Um, I think Bill's like stopped talking to him now. Like, what's now, that? Now that they're competitors, you think Bill's just off the Christmas list? Yeah, like, yeah. Of course, it certainly is with that, with anyone else yeah. in that building, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah. So they acquired Bostic for a conditional seventh round pick next year, basically the Mike Williams pick they um, from the trade last year. And so Bostic, you know, he fits into a pretty complicated or at least unclear linebacker picture. I mean, we have Levy on the weak side. We have Tahir Whitehead getting started and running in the middle, which implies he's going to be the starter there. Um, obviously, Josh Bynes is back. I think he's going to compete on the strong side, although he can be the backup on either of the two other spots. Uh, some guy named Kyle Van Noy is still on the roster, although I'm, I'm just not sure where he factors into things. Um, and then and the Bostic. And I, th- I think if he, if he contributes anywhere outside of special teams and that's obviously providing he makes a roster at all. It would be at, on that strong side spot, given what he's done previously and what the Lions have in terms of depth. But I'm curious what you thought. Yeah, you know what I, I find fascinating about this move, and it's it's just the immediate connection. It's not just the Patriots connection. It's the fact that the Patriots traded for him last year when he was already in the league. So that means Bob Quinn was making the recommendation to trade for John Bostic. Because he ran that pro scouting department, and mm-hmm. he, you know, he was obviously comfortable, soft fit in what the Patriots did, and and recommended that trade. And, and listen, it didn't fit, but right, it, yeah, that's the curious thing is he traded him for him once. It didn't really work yeah. out. Eleven games, he had to get two yeah. tackles, played like forty some snaps, right on forty, and and now he's trading for him again. It's kind right. of a curious little move. It's why it's why I always say like this is why you don't trade for players in the middle of the season. They traded for him in week four. Like it's just too hard to hit the ground running. It's not. It's not yeah. mad, and you don't plug and play right. and, and expect them just to seamlessly fit in. There's so much that goes into to fitting in with the NFL team, and it really requires a, a at least a good chunk of training camp to, to get in the flow. And I, I just, Bostic never got involved there. And it, it, that does give you that dynamic gives you some appreciation, though, doesn't it, for what the Lions did offensively last year after firing Lombardi? I know the crazy. lingo. I know the lingo stayed the same, and the change wasn't dramatic. It was it was gradual over every week, but still every week. NFL teams have a hard enough time as it is installing their own stuff and scouting the opponent. And then you throw in schematic changes, changing responsibilities that you've practiced for months and months and months. That's a crazy task. And I don't think you can really understate just how difficult that was and how well the Lions played considering those circumstances. They played it down so much during the season. But when we talked to Tate, Golden Tate, uh, was it like a week ago? He said there was just weeks we felt like we were flying by the seat of our pants. Like just they would be installing entire... Uh, new plays in, in practice that week, and they'd never seen it before. It was the first time they were running it, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's great appreciation. But you know, going back to Bostic, yeah. that that was there was depth there in New England as well. There just wasn't a lot of space for him to play. But you can go back to 2014. Belichick had some comments on him. You can see what kind of player they think he is. He's a 
they view him as a rangy cover linebacker, which is interesting because he has a reputation as a big hitter. You pulled up the fantastic photo of him destroying <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater in college. Uh, Bostic, what I like about him, and this goes with, with Xavier Gooden as well, who they, they signed off the, off the street. Those two guys both came out in 2013, I believe, second and third round picks, so the talents there. Both scored off the charts with their athleticism. You know, lines, at different spots, you see Bob Quinn has a type. And here, with guys that are going to be special teams contributors probably first and back up second, uh, that athleticism plays very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Bostic has a really good shot to make the roster. You know, they don't have a clear, defined backup middle linebacker. I know... As you mentioned, Bynes has done it, but uh, Bostic's done it longer um, at, at you know high level at Florida, in Chicago in the four three. Um, so you know I, th- I think he has a decent shot of, of backing up to here Whitehead. Yeah, a guy like Bostic and the acquisition there it reminds me a lot of most of every other move that Bob Quinn has made outside of a top draft pick or outside of uh, Marvin Jones, and it's a lot of role players, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but it does speak to me to. Uh, Unless they're revamping schematically what they do or what they look for in special teams, and I don't think that's the case, uh, then he saw major problems in terms of the depth of this team. I know he's he's spoken as much about that topic, but he's bringing in guys you can see who are going to be competing for that second line and maybe pushing for a starting job here and there, but a lot of second line guys. Um, but they're guys that also play a lot on special teams that are expected to. A guy like Tavon Wilson or a guy like uh, Johnson Badamosi or however you pronounce his name. Guys like that who, okay, yeah, they, maybe they'll see the, the, the field on offense or defense or something. But these are like three or four teams, special teams players. And I think that's, that's kind of how he wants to comprise this, this 53-man roster. And I think when it comes down to... You know, a guy like George Wynn or something, or maybe maybe he's not the best example, but guys like that, guys who are not going to be starting, you have, I think with Quinn, I think you're absolutely going to have to be on, on three special teams or something close to it, or your place on this roster will be threatened. And in fact, I think, you know, a backup who maybe plays on one special team or, or none, uh, unless he is vital somehow to, you know, is a backup quarterback or something. Specialist, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then he's going to hard, hard, gonna have a hard time making this team. Because I think he wants guys who can play multiple positions, can do multiple things, especially on special teams, fill up that depth, um, which I think would also help, you know, as, as an insurance policy for, for injuries down the road as well. I, I've talked about this before, um, you know, different points in chats and Twitter conversations or whatever, but... When when I was just a, a fan and I wasn't working in this industry and just a just a NFL fan in general, like I didn't value special teams. It's easy to mm-hmm. just kind of scrap what they mean to the game because the plays are often uh, boring. And then once I was in this industry, you just realize how much detail goes into it. And I, I can't remember the exact year. I think it might have been 2012 49ers. Um, they went to the Super Bowl that year. Um, so it was whatever year the, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl with Harbaugh. And they had like top five special teams units all the way around. Like punter, field goal kicking, coverage units, return men. And when you factor up all those plays over the course of a game, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 or whatever, and you're, you're gaining the extra five yards of field position on a punt, and um, you're stopping the return men on the, the opposing way at you know, two or three yards, like... All those yards add up, and then if you have an accurate kicker that converts ninety percent of his field goals, like it, it just matters so much in a game where it's you know quote unquote a game of inches. 
Uh, and I so think when you have an, an offense like Detroit's, which had trouble gaining an inch, let alone a yard, it's particularly important. I, and I mean that in all seriousness. Spe- I mean, the past two years, but especially last year, the value of a guy like Sam Martin to flip field position. To I mean, he's not. I know he's had a couple of crucial mistakes in his career, and people bag on him for that. But like to have a guy who can that consistently flip field position is so key because you know even think back to 2014 when you have a defense like that you can just stone other teams you get the ball maybe you don't do something with it or maybe you do but then you have a punter that's better than theirs too you're, you're picking up net field position just by stoning teams offensively and what you can do on the special teams so yeah they're absolutely I, I totally agree with you they're, they're overlooked oftentimes and um their, their value is understated but improving there and the consistency there uh, is a huge key i think for the lines particularly if they're not drastically different offensively this year yeah martin's such a weapon i mean i think people take him for granted and, and yeah you mentioned the mistake and obviously the, the dallas mistake is it's gonna be something he's gonna have a tough time shaking his entire career because that's just the unfortunate nature of being a, a specialist but that guy flips field position he averaged 46 yards a punt 42 net like think about who the lines had before him they were towards the bottom of the league hmm. uh in that in that department and then he comes in he also offers you kickoffs and he he gets you touchbacks on Almost all of them negating the opponent's return game. Yeah, Martin's a weapon. I, I think mm-hmm. the Lions should be grateful to have him, and I, I think they will end up eventually signing him to a, a, a long-term extension, probably yeah, toward the top happen. of his position group, to be honest. Right, I think it would be in that top five um, because that's where he is as a, as, a, as a punter. I think he's pretty important to this team. and that You could say extension extension come down, I think, as soon as maybe this year, sometime this, this calendar year. They got some money. His, they have cap room, and uh, he's in a contract year, but... We shall see. So we've talked about free agency, Justin. We've talked about the draft and the Lions' attempts to to get better. It's called um, a transition, right? Yeah, something like that. Uh, it's been drastic in, in so many ways. But um, obviously one of the avenues you have as a team is the undrafted guys. And the Lions brought in a gaggle of those. I always love saying gaggle when I can. Um, and I'm just curious, who who is maybe your, your favorite out of that group? Um, to watch going forward as a possible guy who could land on that roster. Uh, you know, this year's version of a Cornelius Lucas or a Jerome, or Jerome Couplin or something like that. Yeah, I, I just learned that a gaggle and a dozen are uh, equal terms. That's that's good. <laughs> uh, I think we like the same guy. So I'm going to avoid saying that uh, and, and go a different direction. Okay. Um, the guy I'm really interested in is Cole Wick. Okay. Yeah. He's a tight end and he comes from, hold up here. The University of the Incarnate Word. I don't know what that is. It sounds amazing. Like, I don't know. It like, sounds like a theme park for a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> I'm sure like a, it's religious. I'm I'm out. I don't know. But It uh, sounds like a brand of toothpaste to me. It's like the Incarnate Word? Man, we are way <laughs> off. I, I don't know. It's, it sounds cool to me. But I, I believe Mr. Wick is the first ever NFL player from his school, which would make sense of why we'd never heard from it. And yeah, he's, he's a, a bigger bodied tight end. Um, he has a reputation for being a good blocker, but also a receiver. And, and listen, this, this guy's raw. I mean, you're going to be raw by definition when you come from that school, similar to the way the, the German receiver that went to the Vikings is, is raw because that's just the nature of it. It doesn't matter how much, how many physical gifts you have. Are you going to shake your head at me right now if I speak German? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, um, listen, the Lions have Eric Ebron at the top of that depth chart. Brandon Pettigrew may or may not be back. But after that, I mean, does, does right. Tim Wright have a lock on that job after last year's display of, of blocking? And right, I mean, his gift game is on point, but that's about it. And it's for all the wrong reasons. There's right. so many gifts out there of, of Tim Wright whiffing on blocks. And so... 
listen, like like Brandon Pettigrew, I, th- I think the Lions have consistently overstated his ability as a blocker, but he's he also has been, for, I mean, for the number of years that I've been on this beat, the Lions' best blocking tight end, or at least the, maybe outside of Bear Pasco or something, but a guy can go out there and... You missed and, Will Heller, I think. Yeah, I wasn't on for him, but... Um, so I mean, so look, if if if, if Wick comes in, he he shows hey, I catch a few balls, but I can also block. Maybe that's some positional versatility that would give him an edge over Wright because Wright doesn't have that versatility. I mean, he can put his body in front of another person's body, but that's basically the extent of his blocking, and it's rarely effective. Um, he's an, he's 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 a decent pass catcher, but with Ebron in the fold, I don't think you really need a pass catcher out of that position. I think it, I think Wick has an outst. And listen, I know nothing about the guy's game, very little, just just the general stuff that you had. Haven't got on that but, uh, incarnate word film yet. Right. But there's opportunity there, and that's what you look at sometimes. Is I mean, if you're a, you know, a, you know, like the, the the Chase Ferris kid, you know, I've heard some good things about him, but he's walking into a situation where the Lions just drafted a couple of tackles. They have returners at tackle. That, that's just going to be a stacked position to walk into. Um, whereas a guy like Wick can come in, and I think there is absolutely an opportunity for him to beat out Tim Wright if he shows he can block. Again, that's the key. I, I think what he does as a pass catcher is kind of irrelevant, um, showing some ability that will help, will help, obviously. But the Lions need, I think, depth uh, as blockers because Pettigrew is getting up there in age. He's had injury the past couple of years. He's coming off an ACL last year. So Wick, definitely an opportunity. After I talked to Latrell Bentley about Ferris, I mean, it just yeah. became so clear that that guy is destined to be like the crown jewel of the practice squad. Is a weird way to phrase <laughs> it, but um, you know, it just sounds like he's raw defensive lineman, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, offensive lineman. He just kept changing position and really never got in a groove. But he's he's an athlete. Uh, he has loads of potential. The Lions gave him twenty thousand dollars guaranteed for a reason. They wanted to get their hooks into him and, and get him comfortable with. The organization so that when those tough choices do have to be made and uh, he'd have to do some crazy good work to jump guys on the depth chart yeah um you know he's probably gonna get waived and i think that'll be on the practice squad that's a guy they want to develop and that's probably the case with half of these udfa guys mm-hmm. yeah the one that i have my maybe this maybe this is the guy you're referring to uh jay lee yep, it, yeah that's him i think and again it's a blend of his ability with uh, positional need or, or opportunity with this roster. Absolutely. And the Lions have, I mean, they're set with Golden Tate, with Marvin Jones. I think Jeremy Curley makes a team, probably is the starter in the slot. And they, the Lions, listen, the, the, outside of their, outside of those top three guys, there's a lot of opportunity. And I know the Lions have said a lot of positive things about TJ Jones, um, from Jim Caldwell on down to Matthew Stafford. A lot of people expecting him to take a big leap, which could be true. But he's also a guy who didn't play his rookie year because of injury. And I think he caught a grand total of 10 balls last year. For, for as well as he finished last year, he still finished with 10 catches. And so I think he makes the team, but he's not exactly like, you know, a slam dunk in terms of his role with the team. Um, so there's an opportunity, I think, to leap, to leap a guy like that. And also beyond him, if they want to keep five receivers, um, I mean, who's that fifth guy? I mean, is it? Good? I mean, you've seen Corey Fuller for a couple of years, and what does that guy do for you? I mean, it's very little. Even the, the amount that he has played in his career kind of confounds me because he just—I know he's got the speed, but he just—he's just a non-existent guy to me. And so I, I'm not. Again, I'm not. I don't mean to bag on Corey Fuller. Like he, the guy could turn it around. But when it comes to undrafted guys, it's not just about how good you are. It's the opportunity that you have on the on, on the roster, and there's opportunity there because. Uh, because the line didn't draft a receiver, they did lose Calvin Johnson. They do want to throw it around with with Matthew Stafford and and Jay Lee. I mean, the guy um, has some crazy measurables: six three, two twenty. Uh, he's a downfield threat. He he's quick as hell. Uh, averaged about twenty yards per catch last year. I mean, he's this guy's a vertical threat. And for as much talent as the Lions have at that receiver position, I'm not sure if they have. 
a quote-unquote true vertical threat. They have some good receivers, but Tate is best with the yak. Marvin Jones can do a little bit of everything, but he's not true a true downfield threat. Um, Jay Lee perhaps is a guy who could who could fill in and, and, and maybe occupy one of those backup jobs on the outside. Yeah, the, the thing that I like about Lee that is probably never going to get talked about by anyone, but he blocks, and he blocks really well. And the Lions don't have a wide receiver that can block. And that matters when you're throwing a ton of bubble screens and quick outs to have uh, another guy get out there and, and, and throw a block. You know, that guy was Calvin Johnson last year. Mm-hmm. You know who did it really well before that was, was Jeremy uh, Ross. Yeah, Jeremy Ross was an awesome like, blocker. Yeah, yeah, He did so many things not well that people didn't like, but he was such an underrated element of the offense because he would set up things for, for Tate. And, I, you know, I'm not going to make a direct correlation, but look at how much Tate's yards per reception dropped last year when he didn't really have anybody throwing blocks for him reliably on the outside. And uh, those things are not completely uh, related, but it does matter. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you sub in Lee for Fuller, who I, I think that's where the job battle is. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, you're, you're going to get somebody that can add a dimension to the offense that is, is important to me when you have such a, a quick-hitting passing game relying on that yak. Right. Um, that's what I got in the rosters. Anything else you want to add before we get into the, the mailbag? No, man, I'm super excited. We made it to 30 minutes. I did not <laughs> think that was going to happen. It's a slow, it's a slow week. I think we did pretty good. Just, uh, manufacturing some, some things that are going on. Certainly a, there's some transition with the roster. Um, uh, we rounded up a couple of, of questions off the Twitter. The snark was on point and pervasive. Uh, we'll include some, but try to avoid it and get to some real football stuff as well. Uh, what? You sound disappointed. Yeah. Right? Was, I don't, yeah. Um, I'm done with football. I'm we'll ready for with, vacation. We'll start with that, what I presume is an easy one. Uh, don't feel like you have to talk for 10 minutes about uh, it. Just heard the Browns. This is from King Leert. Just heard the Browns maybe looking to part ways with Josh Gordon of the Browns. Should the Lions trade for him? How far did you go back in your Twitter feed? You could have gone back two years for that one. <laughs> I've been, I feel like I've been answering the Josh Gordon question forever. I, I love Josh Gordon's talent. Love it. The dude doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And at this point with... Um, you know, the, the most recent uh, Manziel fiasco. Um, no, I, I just, it's just not worth it. There's a point where you reach with risk tolerance, and Gordon gives you so much talent that that risk is way out there you're willing to take, and he somehow has surpassed that. So I, I'm out at this point. Bob Quinn has, you know, he, he's trying to avoid picking up bad character guys. He knows he can take risks, but that he has to, to, to pick his spots. Uh, I give him respect for actually saying publicly he he doesn't wave guys off the off their their radar or whatever for for marijuana issues. I mean, he, you know, he, he actually said uh, during the draft or maybe just after. I, I can't remember which now. I, oh, it must have been just after. No, it must have been during. It must have been during during the after round one. That was right after this. Yeah, back when we were talking about Tunsil. Right, exactly. And, and Tunsil had slid because of the because <laughs> of the gas mask photo uh, where he's smoking. And uh, and Bob Quinn said, you know, if I if we ruled out every guy who had you know marijuana issues, we half the guys would be off the board. So I give him a lot of respect for that. And so I don't think with with Josh Gordon. You know, I don't think he'd be he'd, he'd be a red flag guy because of the weed. I think it's just the 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 chronic issues with being unable to be on the field because of his personal choices and that that recklessness, that inability to be accountable for himself and to, to, to have the availability. That's the ultimate issue. It's not that he smoked weed once or twice or whatever and and got suspended for. It. I think it's it's that he keeps making the mistake the, these mistakes over and over again and has been unavailable to play for the Browns because of it. And with a having a directive like he does from Martha Ford to 
to win with good guys, if you will. Um, you know, there's some leeway with that, but there are also limits, and I think Josh Gordon's beyond that limit. Yeah, it's not even saying Josh Gordon's a bad guy, right? Well, dude, I know, but he makes dude, bad he makes bad decisions to be on the football field. That's and it. Guess what? So do a lot of NFL players. But once you get in the system, once you get busted once, that's it. Like clean up your act. It it's Potter football at that point, and he hasn't been able to make that break. This question is for you, Justin, awesome. from Blake Easter. Would you ever let Kyle Mikey watch your kid's smiley face? <laughs> wow. I mean, glad he softened it with a smiley face. Man. What's the word? I let Kyle watch my children. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he'd want to. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think anytime you have a child that's under two, that's scary as hell. Yeah, no, I think all uh, that is fair. I, I, I care pretty well for my cat. I, I, I don't think I would kill a living organism for a couple of hours if you and the missus wanted to, like, go get some tacos or something. But, uh, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's, I'll have to look at his resume. <laughs> See what kind of child care experience he has. I come with, I'm not sure if you can afford the cat pit, though, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, this question comes from Brent Young. Uh, over under on Stafford with 4,000 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Whew, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of numbers. I'll go with over 4,000 yards, just under 30 touchdowns, and under 15 interceptions. Yeah, I'll take unders across the board. And, and I mean, 4,000 yards, is a, is a, that's a lot of yards, and... I guess I guess I, I guess I would take over four thousand. He's typically over four thousand. I'll take over four thousand, but I'll take under on the thirty touchdowns and the fifteen interceptions. And it's because I, I think you're going to see a more pronounced running game this year than what the Lions have had in the past. I think I think you'll just see them passing less because I mean, that's what Jim Caldwell wants, wants to do. He's made no uh, mistake about that. He said it repeatedly. The only reason they've passed as much as they have is because a they've been behind a lot, as in going one and seven last year out the gate, and two uh, just having a basically incompetent rushing attack between the offensive line and the failure of the, of the running backs to, to break tackles and so forth. And so I think I think they'll be running more than they have in the past. I, I think the passing game they do have is going to be even more pronounced in the short passing game. So I think over 4,000 because they're typically over 4,000 with Stafford, but under on 30 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Yeah, he broke 4,200 last year. Yeah. I, I think you're going to probably see a very similar mark this year. The ball's going to be spread a little bit differently. I was, I'm really surprised. 11 quarterbacks threw more than 30 touchdowns last year and mm. 13, 29 or more. So uh, I, I don't know. I think Stafford's going to fall in that 26 to 28 ballpark. Um, 15 or something, just with the shorter, quick hitting passing game, I, I think naturally you're going to see a decline there. Yeah, I mean, um, you saw once they shifted to the Cooter offense in the second half of last year, you saw two. You still love saying that, don't you? It's Cooter ball. I mean, that's the accurate term for. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just happy I can stay with a straight face now because that was a, a long process. I, should, I, should I tell the. The Mayhew uh, certain reporters well, story is that is that off the record? Let's let's not throw Dave Burkett under the bus. <laughs> if you ever meet Dave Burkett in public, you should just ask him about Martin Mayhew and Jim Bob Cooter. He'll know exactly what you're talking about. We'll leave it at that. Um, He'll be so mad. Oh well. <laughs> but I forget where I was going with that now. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Not, oh yeah, the second half with the Cooter offense, it was two two interceptions from Stafford. So I think it's unrealistic to extrapolate that and to think he's going to throw for 38 touchdowns and four interceptions, 38 touchdowns and four interceptions yeah. next year. But you do see a reduced risk uh, there with the short passing attack, with the rise of Riddick and so forth, and, and of course Tate and the addition of Marvin Jones. Um, so I, I think it's a pretty safe bet he'll be under 15 interceptions. Um, next question uh, comes from Lions fan and Doug In. Very interesting uh, handled there. I think every 
I think every it's kind of redundant, right? Doesn't every Lions fan have to be dug in? Because if you're not dug in, Entrenched. then you you're, you you yeah. were not a fan since like I don't know, like 1994 or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I I'll use the word respect. I have a lot of respect for fans that hang around through whatever this organization's put them through. Yeah, well, we're both. I mean, I'm not sure how much people know about our stories, but you and I are both from Michigan, so we're very much in tune with the plight of, of people who root for this team and if you're born in the state that's most most any uh, NFL fan who's born into the city for, for you guys but his question from Lions fan and dug in is does the Bostic trade finally mean the Tullock situation could be resolved soon um, I, I don't think the Bostic trade has any bearing on the Tullock situation only because I think the Tullock situation is already the end result is already settled he's not He's not going to be on this team. If he were, I mean, I'll, I'll eat my shoe. We'll put it. We'll put that out there, Justin. Man, I know what I'm rooting for now. <laughs> Come on it's, back, Steven. He hasn't been in Allen Park for any of the conditioning. He's been told he's not in the plans for the team going forward. It's he's he's not going to be playing for this team next season. It's just a matter of when and how uh, he's cut. So I, I mean, yeah, Basque was acquired, but that doesn't affect Tulloch because he's going to be out no matter what happens. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, the nice thing it does give them middle linebacker depth, as I mentioned. You know, now they they have somebody that they could potentially be comfortable with backing up to hear Whitehead, but uh, you're right. I mean, I, I, who knows why this Tulloch situation is still lingering. I think we have more clarity now on why his bonus money was guaranteed. In fact, that it was guaranteed for skill, and there's no way to prove that his skill has declined when he's still recording 100 tackles and 70% of the snaps. It's just not an arbitration battle you want to have, but uh, why why is he still on the roster barring some mystery injury we don't know who knows who knows and uh, i don't know i i can't wait for it to be resolved because i'm tired of waiting for it likewise i'm tired, I'm tired of my editors saying uh, hey kyle so uh, can we get another steven tolick story uh and i and i and i'm not throwing anyone on the bus because i fully get it i mean y'all are clicking on those stories because there's a lot of intrigue on what's going to happen or what, what why it hasn't happened yet that he's been cut so i mean i get it it's just it's like well okay it's another day of this drama and nothing's really changed so uh can you please go away, Stephen Tullock? <laughs> and I say that with he ultimate. Just, he just threw Stephen Tullock on the bus. <laughs> Next question, uh, Mike Basinski. Um, it's can you throw away your gray shirt that looks like you're wearing a mattress? I assume that's directed at me. Uh, yeah, because Mike, yeah. I, I don't think that would be wise. I, I love that sweater, and I know it looks a little goofy, but I, I, the lady, the ladies the, seem to. I'm, yeah. I'm more concerned about what the what the female demographic thinks about, it, and the female demographic seems, seems to think it's okay. That's. That is true, surprisingly. I, I can I can vouch that that sweater has drawn females like magnets on the road. I don't I don't get it. I, I mean, whatever. Do you do you have a piece of clothing that you're most proud of that you own that people think is ridiculous? That's a tough question. I could actually show you because it's we're in my apartment right now yeah. and it's right behind you. It's a it's a onesie. I'm not gonna admit. <laughs> I am, I'm going to admit it's a onesie, and it has uh, you know the you know the album cover from Nirvana, right? With uh, with Nevermind, with the the floating baby going after a dollar. I feel like this could get you arrested based on where it's going. <laughs> it has the the baby in water, right? Um, uh, reaching for a dollar, so it's, it's a onesie with that, except for instead of a baby, it's a cat, and it's it's all oh, a onesie, and it's just a, a glorious piece of fabric. I I, I really I should, I, I should so wear it for a video. This is what should happen: is is you just need to pack a duffel bag. To the facility because he can't wear that press. Well, he could. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Especially if you're flying in. I mean, there's there's excuses. But Jim Caldwell already thinks I'm an idiot, so I don't think I'd be losing anything there. Also but, true. Yeah. Yeah. Just pack a duffel bag, pop it on for the video. <laughs> the people will love it. 
I love it. Let's let's move on. Um, another question, a serious one though. This time from Blake Easter. Do the Lions still need a bruiser running back? I assume it just means a physical guy. I think the guys they have for that role are they're on the roster. It's going to be Zach Zenner. It's going to be um, it's going to be Ridley. Uh, I think those are the two guys battling out. You know, Riddick's your pass catcher. Abdullah is your your running back. Um, your rusher. I think those those roles are pretty defined, and then the rest of the guys are just kind of duking it out for that guy who's going to be a power back. I think Zenner's got a great shot um, of, of sticking and, and, and playing, but of course he's got that battle from Ridley coming as well. That'll be an interesting one to break down because I'm not sure which version of, which version of Ridley they're getting. Are they getting the thousand yard rusher of a couple of years ago, or are they getting a guy who's kind of a shell of himself last year and battled injury and, and so forth? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't expect them to add anyone else. The, the bruiser's going to come from that that win Zenner. Ridley combo, uh, and, and if you want to count Michael Burton in that mix as well as, as a short yardage guy. And I know he only yeah. did a little bit last year, but, uh, as a blocker, I, I thought he did exceptional as a rookie. I thought he, you know, we talk about rookies struggling. I did not see a guy that looked lost with his assignments at any point last year. I, th- I thought he was very capable. Only, he only plays 15 to 20 snaps a game, but, uh, I don't know. O- overrated element right now. I think you roll and see what you got with Ridley. Maybe he bounces back from that ACL injury in a good way, or maybe not. Maybe he's Joke Bell last year. Um, got kind of an inter- interesting question, uh, but I think the answer is also kind of obvious. It's um, uh, from Eric Cassetta. Uh, what is the most important four game stretch for the Lions? I mean, I think it has, I mean, I guess you have multiple options, but I think the obvious answer is the first four games. And I, I say that not only because you did. Number one, you started one and seven last year. So if you go, if you go to Indianapolis and you lose, and you you host the Titans and you lose, and you're zero and two, and you have to go into Green Bay in week three, you're in a really bad place. You're if in a really lose, bad place. If they lose to Tennessee, fold up shop. Season's over. I'm I'm just gonna there you go. I'm calling the season after a loss to the Tennessee Titans at home <laughs> in week two. Mark okay, down. but you're you're also you're just you're you're underscoring the importance of those first four games of to starting well and to playing well and to winning games because you're going to have visions of last year awfully quickly if you if you if you string together some losses there early in the season and to go through what they went last through last year with 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 the front office shakeup mid season with the coaching staff changes mid season the Jim Caldwell on the ropes every week every week we went in there I think at some point I asked about his job security for like. Like, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks straight down the stretch there. And it, it, to, to go through all of that, you, know, you just, to, to keep the coach, to, 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 to say, we're, we're getting better. We have the right guys in place. We can win with Jim Caldwell. We can win the, win with this roster and then go out there and go 0 and 2 or 0 and 3 or something. Uh, yet yeah, there'd be a huge problem. So I think that first four games is the most important. You have to start quickly. And all of that is without saying that, Three of those first four are on the road, and two are against divisional opponents in Green Bay and Chicago. So they're actually important to the actual standings as well. There's just, for me, no way getting around that those first four games are the most important, most critical for the Lions this year. I, I hate to agree, but there's there's just no other way to see it. Uh, the Colts are going to be a playoff contender once again with Andrew Luck back at the helm. It's on the road. Uh, that is a difficult game. Uh, really... Like I said, I, I see the Tennessee game at home, home opener against a young team with a ton of rookies as uh, what should be a gimme win. You have to split the first four. If you split the first four, you said start fast. Well, that to me is not starting fast, but it's what you need to do. But you're, you're treading water. I mean, yeah. You play three you out of four tre- on the road. Treading water is okay when you're on the road. You know? And then you get three in a row at home against teams with question marks, You know, especially uh, Philadelphia and Los Angeles who have won two in the draft, You know, probably starting rookie quarterbacks. 
if you can tread water for those first four games, you're you're in a good spot. So I don't know where you're going to win. What you know, uh, Chicago probably makes the most most sense. And if you manage to win three out of four, then yeah, you're you're on a great roll. The teams always talk about breaking seasons up into quarters. Yeah, and, and I remember going through that though last year because when the when the schedule came out, three out of the first four were on the road again. Your one home game was against Denver, who was a Super Bowl contender. Uh, as we know in retrospect, that Two was West Coast was, trips. I mean, that was just but a yeah, brutal it, it start. Was, it was brutal in so many ways, and we. I remember saying like, if they can tread water, maybe even swipe three out of four, this team could could go a long way because the schedule set up so nicely in the middle of the season. And of course, they didn't just stub their toe; they fell flat on their face, um, and uh, uh, in those first four games, and just never recovered. And I fear that's something that there would there would be an, a feeling of. Here we go again, setting in. If they if they lost if they lost their first two games, they're going to Green Bay. We're already reading those stories of here we go again. And yeah. uh, I mean, they almost went zero and eight last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they got the overtime win in Chicago, and Chicago was not a good team, and they were still finding their way through their new schemes. Uh, other than that, I mean, it wasn't close. Mm-hmm. You know, after they lost that first half lead in San Diego, where they looked so good, like that that season just went downhill so fast. Like that mm-hmm. Melvin that Melvin Ingram hit on Stafford was like. Season over. There you go. I mean, but who knows? All right, Justin, we're at uh, 48 minutes, so I think this is... Hey, a, we did it. This is where... Uh, it's our longest one yet. Yeah. No, we're not, maybe not quite done yet. I was going to say we, we've oh, got no. enough content, and we can we can cut this baby off right now before we make fools out of ourselves. Or I got one more interesting question that's going to put you on the spot. And oh. you, can, you can choose your own adventure here. Do you want to wrap this thing up, or do you want to go for one more? Let's just do it. All right. Roll Tide. Uh, <laughs> this question comes from Mathis Allen. It's pretty interesting. It's on the spot. It's off the top of your head. So uh, off the top of both of our heads, at, really. I'm zapping the thought about it either. But top 12 most positive things in the Lions history. We'll, we'll alternate. You don't think about 12 years. We'll go back and forth. What a BS question off the top of your head. Name 12 things in the history positive, of the organization. Positive things. This is coming, obviously, after yesterday's positive right. history lesson that the rookies uh, got her a couple days ago. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, most positive things in Lions history. Uh, Barry Sanders. That's a that's a good one. Yeah. Um, how about um, Kyle's already stumped. We're at number two. Uh, let's go with. Um, I like I like the logo. I'm gonna go. With the, I like the logo a lot. That's two. Right, I, I mean, I kind of like it, so maybe a half. <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving. I think Thanksgiving tradition is pretty yeah, a pretty cool good. thing. Yeah. Um, I'll go with, uh, I mean, I think, I think Ford Field is spectacular. I, I, we travel to a lot of these stadiums and I, I would put Ford, and I love Lambeau because of the history there, but, but, you know, aside from that, I would stack up Ford Field with any stadium I've been to in the NFL. It's a very nice stadium. I, yeah. the one thing I, I despise about it is it doesn't have the retractable roof and I, I understand why they didn't do it financially. It was just so much more, but football's just meant to be played outside. They tried getting the atrium in there to give that quality, but. Uh, yeah, let's let's just keep going for an hour. Right. Uh, I'm going to keep uh, with simple and um, go with Calvin. I, I think you know okay. you have Barry. You might as well put Calvin in that conversation too. Is one of the uh, greatest of all time. I'll go with uh, the year 1958. 57. I'll go with the year 1957. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the last championship. I know it's kind of a backhanded compliment, if you will, but I mean, a championship's a championship, I guess. <laughs> Oh yeah, so that's six. six. That's six. That's six. Yeah. We're halfway there. <laughs> we have to go to twelve. <laughs> Paula Pash wrote a book about this, guys. I mean, there's a hundred in her book. I mean, yeah. she's she's got you covered. Um, man, I don't I don't have any more. I want to I want to quit. I'll go with the uh, the Jermaine Crowell uh, poster that was on my wall when I was like 
eight years old. That's seven. I, I, I think the I think the food in the press box is pretty good. The That's food eight. is in the press box. Is, yeah. is no, excellent. lines are first class when it comes to food. I give them a big shout out for that. Yeah, um, it's eight. Yeah, you know. They won in Lambeau last year. They ended the worst road losing streak in the history of professional sports. I'll give. I think that's a. That's Do you think that got like a a segment in in the presentation for the rookies yesterday? It's like, hey, we're we're on a winning streak at Lambeau. <laughs> like, how many teams could say that they've won their last game at Lambeau? I don't. I don't know. Um, the fan base is great. Here. Oh yeah. You know I. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not buttering you guys up. I I I've always been impressed with how dedicated and we we alluded to earlier how dedicated these fans are despite the crap product they've seen for years and years and years and years they continue to come out they continue to sell out this and support this organization Uh, i mean the fans here are as loyal as you know almost any fan base in the country yeah it's so true it reminds me in some ways of a college fan base and it's not as fervent as a good college base that's just the nature of the difference between college athletics and pro athletics but when it comes to pro athletics when it comes to the nfl some of these stadiums i go to it feels pretty sanitized inside the stadium even like i go to lambo it's so historic but like i don't know it it doesn't feel like the big house or it doesn't feel like you know play like spartan stadium or places like that sometimes it's just it's just different and at ford field particularly when the lions are good um, it's crazy. And one thing is like when I go on road trips for games you know, on that flight on Saturday or whatever it is, I'm always seeing fans who are flying to the lines travel as well as, as any team, I think in the league or, or among them. I mean, I'm sure the Cowboys have their fans all over the place, the Steelers, some of these national teams, but I'm talking fans from Michigan, from Detroit, who just traveled to Arizona or to, to, to London. I mean, I met so many people in London who had traveled from wherever and just made a week out of it or, or what have you. They, the fans are great, and it, it blows me away because they're, they're great. Uh, they, they'd be great no matter what, but they're great despite the the, the, the poor history of the franchise, and it, it really is something. Um, I think we're at 10, right? No, I don't know anymore. I was going to say Billy Sims. That's 11. See, I, I'd even go... Like, Alex Karras is such a cool story because not only was he a great football player but then he goes on and has the the acting career yeah i pulled up the list of hall of famers which is not helping yeah, me yeah uh, I, was I saw you uh, what about paper lion i mean just to, to have uh, a great work of american fiction about your organization it's a, it's a unique story as well with plimpton so mm-hmm. uh man we really we're, we're stretching it. maybe if yeah. we if we thought about it more, we'd come up with some better answers. Yeah, these were answers. 100% off the top, top of our heads. So, I uh, regret sure. everything <laughs> accepting this question. What's that? I regret everything about accepting <laughs> that question. <laughs> I told you, choose your own adventure. Um, so regrettably, I think we'll finally finally end this. Uh, we're at 53 minutes strong. So thank you to everyone who stuck around and given us a listen. To, you know, We like to joke you know, to our, about our three listeners or something, but we know you guys... Uh, we know you guys... Uh, Man, Listen, there's more than three of you right now. I, that's, no, but that's, we see that's the metrics you. and we see the numbers going up, and it's cool that you guys are getting something out of this, and we just do really appreciate it. Um, as always, you can hit us up on Twitter or our emails uh, with questions for next week's episode or whenever our next episode is. Um, that's what we got for today. For Justin, I'm Kyle. I'm live. Keep it right here.